is available uh, in the old nursery junior church, children's church room, which is just down past the kitchen. Have fun, children, as they've already left and they've made their way. Pastor Andrew. All right. Good morning. It's a busy Sunday. It's good. We got our business meeting and uh, just want to say thank you to everyone for um, being a part of our lives and for the for that dedication, um, it means a lot to to Ashley and I. Just um, just the, the love that you guys have for us and for our family and for our kids. Um, even when uh, my oldest is a little shy, and uh, <coughs> and uh, would just like to be alone, um, we just we really uh, just appreciate um, just how much um, yeah, just you guys. Um, there's not a lot of churches like this. Where, um, where the, uh, where children are valued so much and cared for so much and loved so much by so many different people. Oftentimes it's the volunteers and it's the people who it's their job to look after the kids and other people don't seem to, to mind that much. Um, but this is not a church like that and so I'm just so, um, thankful for you guys. And you guys should, um, should be proud to be a part of a church like this and to be a church like this because you're not just a part of a church like this. You're, the church is like this because you are like this. So thank you. Um, so we're talking, we're continuing on in our sermon series on Ephesians, and, uh, and this is a great um, transition point in, in the sermon. We, uh, we're in chapter 3, looks like my, um, my formatting is off, which is a problem, because that's going to cut stuff off, so I'll try and keep talking while I do this. Um, so we're in, we're in chapter 3, and chapter 3 is kind of this transition period where Paul moves from what he's been talking about for the first two chapters and then begins to move into more of a practical um, application. And so we're going we're gonna to spend some time and, uh, and take a look at this. All right, there. Come on now. Uh, show on. Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Okay, awesome. So if you want to turn your Bibles uh, with me to Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to be reading the first 13 verses. Um, and just before we get into that, what, what Paul has been doing, Ephesians is this, is this incredible book, and uh, I don't know if, you've, if you have caught a hold of it yet, but Ephesians is actually probably one of the most important letters in the New Testament. Um, and uh, I'm sure Pastor Jamie has, has, has mentioned this and talked about this, and we've been talking about this, but Ephesians is probably the last letter that Paul ever wrote. And so when you think of, um, if you were on your deathbed or you knew you were going to die, he's in prison, he knows he's going to go testify and talk to Caesar and tell Caesar that, hey, you're not God, Jesus is God. So he kind of knows what's going to go on. Um, he writes this letter, right? And so what would you write as your last words to your children or to the people you care about? And so Ephesians is like that. And so in Ephesians, we find um, just a, such a beauty of, of Paul's heart for, for people. And you see it over and over again, the joy that he has and just the care that he has for these people. And he really nails what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be the church, because that's what he cares about so much. Is he cares so much about Jesus and he cares so much about the church and about um, the church going and transforming the world. And so what happens at this point in the letter is, is in the last couple of sermons as he's been walking with Pastor Jamie through it, is um, 
Paul is talking about just how amazing and incredible God is and, and just the love that he has for us and the grace that he has for us and just what it is that he has done in history and in the Bible, starting with the Jews, creating a people for himself and, um, and saving them, and then now how it's been extended to everybody. Now it's not just that there's some people who are special, but it's everybody, right? And going on about God's rich blessings and the unity that he has for us, the new life that he has for us, how we were dead in sin, but now we're alive in him, right? And he's, and he's just talking, and he's just going on and on and on about how awesome God is. And then we get to this moment in chapter 3 where it's, it's like he stops and he pauses, takes a big deep breath, and he goes back and he looks at what he's read. And have you ever um, written something or read something or created something and then taken a step back and just realized how um, incredible it is or, 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 or had a moment where you're like, wow, this is, this is like bigger than me, this is, this is awesome. Well, Paul kind of has this moment and he begins to almost repeat what he's already said and get even more excited about it. And, and, and his excitement is, it just leaps off the pages in, in uh, the, the verses we're going to read and in the verses we're going to be talking about next week. And it's important to catch this because sometimes Christianity just seems like this dull, boring thing, but, but the authors and the people and, and the way it's actually meant to be, it's, it's meant to be this incredible life-giving, this incredible, um, exciting thing that really actually gets us excited and, um, and changes us. So, so let's read that and, um, and just see how excited Paul gets. In Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. And uh, you guys can follow along. And then we're just going to break it down and we're going to look at three, we're going to break into three sections. We're just going to take a look at it and, uh, and then we'll talk about Jesus for a few minutes. So Ephesians chapter 3. When I think of all this, see he's stopping and he's, and he's going, whoa, I'm thinking about this. Okay, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. And so Paul almost, he sums up what the previous chapters were about. So he talks about our inheritance. And you go, okay, well, what's that? Well, if you, if you read in the first two chapters of, of Ephesians and other places in, in the scriptures, he, he tells us what that inheritance is, right? The inheritance that Israel had in the Old Testament, the, the promises that God made to them, the, the covenant that God made to them, that, they were gonna, that God was going to come and save them and that he was going to set them up in his kingdom and they were going to rule over the world in the future. And he says, we now have that inheritance, right? We are now sons and daughters of God. 
He talks about the promises. Well, now all the promises that was made to Israel, of God's blessing and protection, all those things, he's saying, now we get that. And, and all these things where he, he, he makes a statement, but he, he's explained it back, back here further. But we see over and over again that, um, that Paul is, he keeps saying, he uses the word privilege, and he keeps talking about God, God has graciously given me the privilege of being able to, to, to share this with you and tell this with you. That Paul is not, um, he's not saying it because he has to. He's not saying it because he feels just called to do it. He, he's so honored that he actually gets to tell people about Jesus. So much so that when he's suffering and in prison, he says, don't worry about me. Right? I don't care. Because it's such a privilege to be able to share and tell people about the good news. And so let's talk about that. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about um, how God, God has a plan, right? The, the big idea here, the, one of the things that Paul keeps talking about is that God has this mysterious plan that, he's ne- that people before Jesus, but people before now, never understood. It was a mystery. Nowadays, if someone came into the church and said, I have some new mystery that God has revealed to me, we would say, mm, no, you can go down the street to that other church, right? Because that's, um, that's how cults and other things get started. But at this point, with Jesus, with Paul, God has actually, has, has, has actually done this. That's part of the reason why we don't need people to come and say, hey, I know what, I know what you know, the truth is, right? You guys are... are don't know what's real, I know what's real. Well, it's because the Bible has told us, and in this, in this passage with Paul and with Jesus, it's already happened. So we say, yeah, we already know. So anything you're saying is, is not. Um, but there is this mysterious plan, and, and when you look at the Bible, when you look at the Old Testament, and I've been walking through it with the youth um, in discipleship and at, and at youth, and, we, and we've been walking through it in discipleship downstairs, is, is we see... What like what is the Old Testament, right? And I talked to the students, and, and, and I was like this growing up. Is The Old Testament is really confusing. It's really weird. There's all these things that don't seem to make sense, and parts of the Bible that don't seem to make sense. It's not always, you know, ordered in chronological order, and there's all, these, all this weird talk, and, um, and it's confusing, right? And I think that for the Jewish people who it's a story about, that I think they were confused quite a bit by Paul. Or not by Paul, sorry, by God and what he was doing. They didn't totally understand all the time what God was doing, right? And so, but what we see is that God has been at work in the world throughout all of history. He's been slowly and intentionally carrying out um, his plan, whatever this mysterious plan is. He's been, he has this mysterious plan that he has been working out through the lives of ordinary people like you and me. And that is what the Old Testament is showing. The Old Testament is a story of, of how God works out his plan in history. That's why the genealogies are in there. They're not just there for fun. They're there to show us how God is working out his plan from the fall. Right at the beginning, there's that confusing thing. He, he, there's two genealogies. One shows where Jesus is going to come from, and the other one shows how bad humanity continues to get. And with each generation, it talks about them, and they get worse and worse and worse, and you end up with Tower of Babel and Sodom and Gomorrah and Noah, where it's so bad that only Noah's good, and even Noah's not that great when you read some of the things he does later, right? It, those, that's what the genealogy is doing, is it's showing the, tra- the trajectory of humanity and what's going on, and then it begins to show how God is going to fix that and save us. And, the, and it starts with Abraham, and then the story begins to progress to Israel, and on and on and on. He's got this mysterious plan that he's trying to save us from ourselves, because we've really messed things up, okay? And we don't have to look very far in our world to realize we've really messed things up. 
It's hard to go a day without messing things up. Because there's something wrong with us. And so God's plan has been, to do, has been how is he going to save us, right? And so if you ever struggled to understand the Old Testament, just know that at its core is the story of how God is saving us and redeeming us. And he has done it not just by giving us a list of things to do and not do, but he has done it by actually placing himself in history among us, working from the inside out, transforming us over time slowly. And now we're in a place where we get to look back and understand it, but for them in those days, they didn't totally get what was going on. God promised them. He promised Abraham. People knew, even in Genesis with Adam and Eve and the curse, they were promised the Messiah. They knew that something was going to happen. Someone was going to come and save them, but they didn't know a whole lot. Right? They didn't have access to the Holy Spirit like we do. The Holy Spirit came upon certain people for short periods of time once in a while. The prophets and the judges and different people. We have the Holy Spirit all the time. Right? So everyone else was just left in the dark, just following, trusting God, step by step as he was, as he was slowly working this out and, and preparing us to understand his plan. And it took him a long time, it seems like. Probably not a long time to God. Probably when we look back on it in the future, it's not going to seem like that long of a time. But it seems like a long time, several thousand years, right? And it's, how is he going to rescue us from slavery and sickness? From the slavery and sickness that we have, that we are in bondage to Satan and to sin and to death. Because the Bible doesn't start with us being bad sinners. That's not how the Bible starts. The Bible starts with everything being good. And us being good. And God being good and the creation being good. And we need to know that that's where we started. Now things are messed up and God is bringing us back. But what he did is he, just, he asked the people over and over again, can you trust me and can you follow me with what I've given you? Right? And for Abraham, that was just go here to this place and in a couple years, maybe 50 years from now, I'll talk to you again and we'll do something else. Right? And do your best. He, Abraham didn't have the law. He didn't understand all these things. Right? And then... You get the people of Israel, and they begin to get more of an understanding and and so forth. But now, we get to find out what God's plan is. Because they they were confused at times, right? And how do we know that they were confused? How did they handle Jesus? When Jesus showed up, the answer to the plan, the fulfillment of the plan, they didn't understand him. His disciples didn't understand him. They knew that someone was coming. They even believed that Jesus was the one. But they thought that when they said, my kingdom is coming and I'm going to rule and all these types of things, that it meant, let's go get some swords and go stick it to the Romans right now. That's what they thought, based on what they were reading and, and, and how they were trying to follow God. They didn't actually understand what God was doing. They, they, they missed it, right? But it's because God hadn't revealed it to them yet. It was a mystery. And so we see that in, in, uh, in verses 6 to 12. I'm just going to read it again so it's fresh in our minds. We're going to find out. See, and this is what um, Paul kinds of builds up, builds up to. And he, and he said it in, in Ephesians chapters 1 and 2. He already told us what the plan is. He already told them what the, what the plan is. We've already talked about in the last couple of weeks what the plan is um, and just what God has been up to. But then Paul just says it again. And he says this. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. 
Both are a part of the same body. Both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. That sounds like good news to me. Uh, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So that is what Paul says the plan is. Right? And the plan has now reached a point where everything is different. The world changed when Jesus resurrected from the dead. In our society, we like to think that the world changed when the Industrial Revolution happened and the Enlightenment happened and we got really smart and logical and technologically advanced. Right? And, and ever since then, we've been colonialism and we've been demo- everyone has to be a democratic country and everybody has to have our values and, and have our technology and all these things. We, we think that the world changed when we got smart. And we tend to look back at ancient people and go, wow, those people were stupid. But we wouldn't do that because we're awesome because we have science and reason. We can think now like people couldn't think before. But that's, our culture kind of acts that way. But the thing is, is that that's not what happened. What happened was, is history turned, the course of history changed when Jesus resurrected from the dead. Because when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he had victory over Satan and over sin and over death. He's alive, and he's alive now as a new resurrected human being. Right? And, and Paul has already talked about this, right? He's the first Adam. He, he, he's, he's, right, um, Paul talks about how now in Christ, we are not different types of people, but we are all one new humanity, one new, one new human being. One, like there's, a whole, there's been a change that has taken place in us. There is a new humanity that we have in Christ. Something has changed, and we are on a, a different course than we were before. Different than what people before had. And so the mystery is now revealed to us. That it's not just about rules and religion and laws. It's not just about sacrificing animals or trying to be good. It's about God coming in and actually changing us from the inside out and renovating our heart and transforming the world through us. And this is what he's getting at and he's talking about. Um, He says that God's plan is to bring the whole world into a rich, eternal life with him in his kingdom. It's not just some people, but all people. It's not just the good people and not the bad people. He wants everybody now. It's not just the Jews. It's us as well. Right? It's not just the church people that God wants. It's the unchurched people who believe in him. It's not just the people who do a good job of looking like a Christian. It's the people who do a bad job of looking like a Christian but believe and are trying anyways. Right? We're all included. We're all a part of this. It's not once you start acting like us, then you belong and you're a part of you're a part of us. No, it's you're a part of us when you believe and have faith in Jesus. And it's a, right, it's a life that has, that, is a, that has and is a rich inheritance. It has promised blessings, endless treasures, that we belong to Christ, we are in Christ. It's full of grace, and it's a place where we can boldly and confidently approach God's throne. Those are all the things Paul says. Right? I don't know about you, I don't always feel like I can confidently and boldly approach God's throne. Like, if you think about who God is and how just incredible he is. The fact, if, you, like, if we ponder some of these things that Paul has said, 
It's incredible what God has given us. The fact that the God of the universe, we can just come boldly and confidently to him and talk to him and be in his presence. We don't need a priest to do something for us. We don't need to grovel on the ground and cry and promise to be different. He said, in Christ, when we are in Christ, we can just go to him and talk to him. And Jesus, when Jesus talked to God, he called him daddy. We can do the same thing. It's incredible. It's really incredible. See, in this plan, there's no second-class citizens. Right? That's where I would disagree, disagree with the Catholic Church that says, some people are saints, and everybody else, you go to purgatory for a while. No. In the New Testament, in another place, Paul says we are all saints. And Peter says we are all priests. We all share this together. <clears throat> And we've got to know that. And we have to not just know what we need to know for ourselves, and we need to look at everyone else and go, you're the same as me, and you share what I share. The grace that God gives to me, he gives to you. And it's, it's good news. Because he's... In the Old Testament, we see that, it, that it was, he started with just a group of people and tried to get you know, a, just a country of people to figure it out and to follow him and to be close to him and all those things. Well, now he's taken and he's just flung it wide open. And we see Jesus in his parables, he talks that way too. That is for everybody. And even though Jesus came for the Jews, he often he would go off and, and talk to other people and the, and the Gentiles. And that was a big thing. In, in the ancient world, the Jews and the Gentiles did not get along. Nobody liked, like, people, there's still anti-Semitism today. People don't like Jewish people for some reason. It was like that back then in the ancient world. No one liked the Jews. They were weird. They were. They didn't have idol statues. They didn't, you know, just go around and sleep with whoever and have, you know, get drunk all the time and and all these types of things. Like, people didn't want to go and be in... The Roman soldiers didn't want to be in in Israel because the Jewish people lived life differently than everybody else and they wouldn't compromise. And they really wouldn't compromise because if a soldier wanted to cause a riot just for fun, all they had to do was, was throw their pants down for a second and the whole city would go and start a, like an actual riot and rebellion. That's how like uncompromising the Jewish people were, okay? It's like they didn't have a sense of humor. To, to the Roman people anyways, right? But now, like God has flung the doors open to all of us, and he's torn down a lot of those types of things that get us all stuck up and, and worried and things as well with the law. And this life, if you really read Paul and really actually, like, if we just take him at his word, the words that he uses, if we take him at his word, our faith is not boring. Our faith is not dull. Our faith should not be this, oh, I have to go to church today. Oh, I can't do this because, you know, I want to do it, but the Bible, Jesus said not to, and if I do, I'm going to go to hell. That's not like, that's not what, how Paul talks about Christianity. It's not how, well, how Paul talks about what God is doing. Paul is excited. Paul talks about treasures and riches, endless treasures, blessings and promises that are going to be kept in a relationship with God that is just incredible. And he says, we have that now. It's not that we're going to have that. It's that we have that now. That's why he's so excited is, I have that now. You can have that now.
It's a real true life. It's when we, like in Ephesians 2, when he talks about how we're dead and we come alive. It's like, we be, it's like when we get this, when we become a Christian, when we actually believe in who Jesus is, and we actually begin to go, oh, and God reveals it to us, this is what I've done. It's like we come alive for the first time. It's like we really actually come alive and actually know what it means to be human. Jesus shows us a new way to be human. What being a human really is, the way it was always meant to be. And so Paul, over and over and over again, it, just, it causes him to, to, to just keep saying it's a privilege to serve. It's a privilege to tell you this. And if you look at Paul's resume, Paul gets shipwrecked several times. He gets bitten by poisonous snakes. He gets thrown out of cities and stoned to death. He gets whipped and beaten and imprisoned. Eventually he gets murdered. And he's saying it's a privilege. This is a privilege. This is an honor. I'm going to keep doing this until they shut me up. He would go to city after city until they rioted and kicked him out. And then just go to the next one. And sometimes he would come back again later. Because it was a privilege. Because he, he caught what God has done. He understood what God's plan is. And just how incredible it is. Right? Like he, he realized he, it's, like, it's like if you ever have, have been, like, feel like you've been a part of history. Where something important has happened and you've been there or you've seen it. And you go, whoa, history is happening. Right? We see like big moments on television or there's something like, this is going to go down in the history books. Paul is, is, is having this moment, his whole life now is this moment where he goes, this has changed the whole world. The world is never going to be the same. And now he, he is living in this, like, this is going to go down in history and I'm just going to tell everyone about it. And it's incredible. And our culture struggles to get this. We struggle to get this. I struggle to get this. And so, uh, I want to talk for a few minutes about why I think that might be with us. Because this sounds incredible. And Paul and the early church and the apostles didn't seem to struggle so much with getting really excited about Jesus. And what I want to talk about is, uh, is this question. What kind of treasure? And this may seem like a little bit of a, a leap in topic, but this is actually... Uh, I think really important. It's something that I wrestle through constantly and I've had to understand. Is that Paul keeps talking about treasure and riches and blessing and promises. The question is, what does Paul mean by that? What does he mean? Uh, What does he really mean? Because the answer we give in North America tends to be what? When we think about God blessing me or giving me riches, what do we think about? Stuff. We think about health and wealth and prosperity and success. Right? We even have a word for it. We call it the prosperity gospel. We get huge crowds of people. It sounds awesome. Right? That's what we do. But what our culture, the thing with our culture is our culture is materialistic and, cons- and, and consumeristic. Like we have turned life into, like life is about getting stuff. And the more stuff you have and the better stuff you have, the better you are. And value comes from our stuff and from having and have-nots and status and all these types of things. And so our culture is so full of materialism and consumerism and individualism 
and, and, and selfishness, that when we look at these words, blessing, riches, all these things, we just assume that's what God is talking about. Or we default to it. Even if we know he's not, we default there by accident. Because it's just, we've grown up in our culture and it's who we are, right? And we need to be, God needs to transform us and needs to change us from that. Right? What we end up believing accidentally is this, that God is going to keep me healthy and he's, or at least he's going to heal me of my sicknesses, or at least he's going to keep anything from really bad from happening to me. Right? That's just generally how we live. And we're shocked when, Christians in general, in North America, we're shocked when we get sick and we don't get better. Okay? I was sick as a kid and didn't get better for a really long time. In the church we were a part of, it got so bad that they started accusing my family of sin. Because something is obviously wrong and it's not getting better, so there must be something wrong with you. That's where we go. That's what we do. Or we believe that God is going to bless me financially and materially, especially if I tithe and attend church regularly. Right? When we talk this way and we believe this way. If I'm giving God money, I better get something back. Right? We don't give to get more money back from God so we can spend it on ourselves. Some people actually preach that way, and that's how we kind of live, right? If I'm doing this for God, I better get something back in return. And if I'm not getting what I want, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to give, I'm not going to come to church, I'm not going to serve, I'm not going to be that nice, I'm not going to care, because God's not holding up his end of the bargain in our minds. It's not even, so, it's not even conscious, it's just how we live sometimes. Right? Or we believe that God is going to give me favor and success in life. He's going to give me all my dreams and my aspirations. I'm going to get what I want. Because God loves me and wants to bless me. So my businesses aren't going to fail. Right? My family is not going to fail. My marriage isn't going to fail. Because I'm doing all this stuff for God. Or because God is just he's going to do this for me. Right? And we don't know what to do when things do fall apart. Because things often fall apart. And they don't work. And then we have to struggle to figure out some sort of solution. Either there's something wrong with me, or there's something wrong with someone else, or we just blame the devil and, you know, yell at him and bind him and all these things. When really maybe we just aren't understanding what Paul's talking about. Right? Because what we want is we want God to give us the American dream. And we expect him to give us the American dream. Or the Canadian dream. Right? We expect him to do this for us. Right? And it's because, and it's because of the culture we grow up in. It's, it, it's, we, without realizing it, are mimicking our culture. And we are reading our culture into the Bible. Because you can find verses that support this. Right? And if you're wondering, or, you know, well, how do I know if I'm like this? Or I, maybe you don't think that you're like this. Think about this and ask yourself this question. What do I get excited about? How do I pray? What do I pray for? What do I ask God for? That will tell you what you think treasure is. What you're asking God for, what you want from him, what you get excited about and thank God for is what you think the treasure is. That scares me when I think about what I often pray for. But what's the big deal? 
right? Aren't there verses that say, test me and I will overflow your, you know, your granaries and your vats, everything, everything, you know, just try me and I will bless you, right? There's one verse that talks about that and he's talking to a specific, it's a prophecy for a specific group of people at a specific time when Israel was not following him. Doesn't mean there's not principles for us. However, when, when we look at the Bible, it doesn't actually talk a lot about about God giving us financially. It's in there, and I think that God actually does want to bless us financially, immaterially, and with health and all those things. God does heal. God has healed me. God has blessed me incredibly. But I, th- I don't know if it's the main point. I don't know if it's the big picture. And why I wonder about that is because whenever I go back and I read Jesus' words in the New Testament, I don't get the picture that he cares that much about money. So let's, let's see what Jesus says in Matthew 6. This is what Jesus has to say about treasure. And so, somehow I forget about this all the time, and we forget about this. Jesus in chapter 6, verses 19 says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth. We're moths eat eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And by the way, God wants the desires of our heart to be him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, the whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness... How deep that darkness is. So you can actually think you've got it right and be wrong, and it's even worse. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's what Jesus has to say about health, wealth, and prosperity. Jesus also says, anyone who would come after me must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. Whoever tries to save his life, to control his life, to hold on to his life, loses it. Whoever just surrenders it and gives it up, they find life. They actually find what Paul is talking about in this new humanity. Jesus doesn't seem very concerned about material possessions. He was homeless. He said, my pillow's a rock. At one point. He warns people about caring too much about money and possessions. Right? And after Jesus says this, his next topic is anxiety. Stop stressing out about all your stuff, is what he says. It's incredible how that applies to us. And so here's, here's, the, here's the other reason why I think this doesn't work and why we need to reevaluate what we think, is that... Um, it's not that God doesn't want to do those things for us. It's that he has already blessed us incredibly, materially and financially and physically. We don't think about it because we just wake up in the morning and live our lives and go back and we compare ourselves to other people in our culture. But did you know that 50% of the world lives on less than $2.50 a day? So if you make $910 a year, you are richer than 50% of the world. $910 a year. 80% of the world lives on less than $10 a day. So if you make $3,600 a year, you are richer than 80% of the people in the world. We seem to think we're poor, 
But if we step outside of North America for a few minutes, we are incredibly rich. We are the 1%. Okay, students my age kept complaining about the 1%. We are the 99%. No, you're not the 99%. You have a phone. You have clean water. You don't have to worry about someone in coming and killing you or a bomb dropping on you. You don't have to worry about you know, diseases coming and killing you. You don't have to worry about where you're going to pay for your next doctor's appointment. You don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from. God has already richly blessed us. I don't need any more money. I don't need any more stuff. God has already given it to me. And if I can't figure out how to live within that, that's my problem. God promises to take care of our needs and to bless us, and he does bless us. But I think sometimes we don't recognize the blessing because we care more about our stuff and we compare ourselves to other people and what they have when the rest of the world doesn't live like this. He's already done it. He's already blessed us. And sometimes he's going to bless us even more just because, because he's awesome. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he gives you a new car or a better job or a bonus or he heals you because he's awesome, because he's God. But he's already blessed us. And the problem, I think, with our church in North America is we are materially rich, but we're spiritually poor. Because we think that the treasure is about how much stuff we have. And I think what Paul is talking about is he's talking about Jesus. He talks about being in Christ and having Jesus. Another place he talks about, about like, knowing Jesus is better than anything else. And if you look at what we get in Jesus, what he said in this passage, what he says in this book and in other places, where we have God's very presence in our lives through the Holy Spirit. God lives inside of us. That's awesome. And he actively trans, he's actively working in transforming us, in, in working in our hearts, in counseling us, and he's there to comfort us, and all of these things. That he, he takes us from being a sinner and turns us into a saint. He takes us from being broken and healing us and restoring us. He gives us a hope and a future. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us a part of his plan and his mission, and he gives us a purpose and a vision. He gives us a new humanity, a new community. Like people, the church is a, is a unique place. It's a unique community where we come as we are, and we don't have to all try and be like each other. We can just be ourselves and love each other anyways. That doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. Right? Love. The fact, like, how love flows in us and through us. God's love. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. All of those things we get. Other people, they don't just get that. God doesn't, right? Because they're not in Christ yet. They could get that. Right? And then we get more Jesus. And it always goes back to just getting more of Jesus, more of Jesus, more of Jesus. More. We get freedom from all the things that trouble us. And peace. Right? When you go to these places where 80% of the world is living on less than $10 a day, they are way happier than we are. And it's not because they don't know any better. It's because they know that it's about Jesus and not about our stuff. That the treasure is actually Jesus. The treasure is actually what God has done in us and through us and wants to do in us and through us. That is what the treasure is. And I would take peace and freedom and an exciting life of 
not being in control. Like we sometimes we we like we say spontaneous people are awesome. Like I wish I could be spontaneous, right? Well, that's kind of what God says sometimes because He says, "Give up control, and I'll tell you what to do." It scares us because we like to have control, but God actually has has an exciting life for us. Regardless of your job, regardless of how mundane your day to day is, that living with Jesus day to day can be incredibly exciting. And you never know where you're going to end up. I have friends from my youth group who are just working as lifties at Blue Mountain. And I have another friend who just got married and they're both working at the refugee camps in Greece, feeding people. A couple of years ago, well, six months ago, she didn't know she was going to end up there. But that's where she is. God said, well, why don't you go feed people? Okay, we'll see if it works. And all of a sudden, all the doors open and she's feeding people in Greece. The Syrian refugees. You think that might would have happened if she cared more about God give me more money and more stuff and let me have life on my own terms? Maybe not. So, I need to end. But what Jesus offers us is endless riches. As I wrap up, that because um, I know we have more stuff we have to do. What? Jesus offers us is, is endless treasures, but we struggle to see it that way. We are so attached to our stuff in our life that we see Jesus' call as this very difficult, I don't want to do it, this sucks kind of thing, when it's not. It's an invitation to the most incredible thing in this world. Because Jesus is real, and he has done it. What he says he has done, what... The Apostle Paul has said he has done. In the last 2,000 years of church history, has said that he has done. He has actually done it. Christianity falls apart if Jesus didn't exist or if Jesus stayed dead. And people have been trying to dismantle that for the last 2,000 years, and they always come up short because it happened. Jesus is alive. He is victorious. And we are changed. So just as we close, if the worship team wants to come back up, I just want to leave you with a quote and a question for you guys to ponder, and it's on the back of your, your page. And the quote is this. It's, it's, by, it's from C.S. Lewis. And this is a quote I've said to people before, um, but it's just something to think about. Because it's not that God wants us to not like ourselves or be poor or that God doesn't want to give us things. It's that we're, we're missing the big picture. So this is what C.S. Lewis says. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, I mean, we often think that, our, that oh, I want this too much, our desires are too strong. No, but our desires are too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So think about that this week. And think about the question, what mud pies are you still trying to make? Because Jesus is offering us in him, life with him, endless treasures and joy, infinite joy. But so often we just get caught up with, with pleasure and with escape and with our selfish ambition and we think that God just wants to give us more of that when he's saying, I got something way better than that for you. And so I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. The things that I try and hold on to. The things that Jesus is saying, come with me, I've got something better for you. And I go, no, I just want to sit here and play in the mud. 
And I've got to keep reminding myself and keep going to God and saying, you know what, this is mud. This is not that great. It's good, but it's not that great. And it's oftentimes that when we let go of those things that we end up finding actual peace and actual joy and actual contentment in all the other things that we already do have. So why don't we just sing to God for a minute. Let's worship him. Listen to him as he speaks to us. And just thank him for everything that he has done and recognize that that he is our prize and our treasure. There's a love for getting my failure. There's a hope for setting me free. There's a light defeating my darkness. There's redemption calling and causing all to sing. Father, will you come and open up? with your heart renew us with your life consume us with your majesty consume us with your majesty there's a peace that's calming my water there's a joy that's placing my grief. He's the light defeating my darkness. And there's redemption calling and causing all to sing. Father, will you come and open up our eyes, fill us with your heart, renew us with new life, consume us with your majesty. Consume us with your majesty. Father, will you come and open up our eyes? Fill us with your heart. Renew us with your life. Consume us with your majesty. Consume us with your majesty. Glory. Power 